If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to uh, to Mark chapter eight. Mark chapter eight is where we will be, and we're not just going to. I'm, I'm going to do something a little different today. Instead of just going kind of verse by verse, I'm going to I'm going to jump a little bit. You see, I'm going to be in Mark eight for just a couple of verses. I'm going to be in Mark nine for a couple of verses, and I'll be in Mark chapter ten. Uh, for a couple of verses, and so, uh, but there's a there's a reason for that, and hopefully you will uh, you'll pick up on what that is in uh, in just a few minutes. And really, what this is is it's, it's really a continuation from from last week's message, where we saw Jesus heal a guy, and it didn't work the first time, so we had to do it again, uh, and then it rolled into you know we didn't understand what it was saying, so we kept reading, uh, and then. Jesus asks who people say he is. They say, you're this, you're that. Jesus says, no, 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 who do you say I am? Peter confesses that he's Messiah. Great, Peter has this one shining moment where he gets it right. Then Jesus makes his first death prediction, and then that's where Peter rebukes him. And so, really, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of continue with that this morning, and I think you'll see a pattern that is beginning to emerge, but it's going to set the tone for the rest of the Gospel of Mark. Well, you see the title this morning is Dead Man Walking. Anybody seen The Green Mile? Who's seen that movie? Good. So you know what it's about. Or if you don't, I'll tell you. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a, a fictionalized movie that's adapted from a series of Stephen King novels. And it is uh, it's set you know, in the, the early... Uh, the early 20th century, and it tells the story of a man who is wrongly accused and wrongly convicted of murder. And so he's, you know, he's convicted of murder. He is sent to death row where, you know, he's going to live out the rest of his life until it's time for him to, to be executed. And the movie tells us that, you know, um, it's narrated by this prison guard, and he tells us that death row is generally known, uh, known as the last mile. He says, but at their prison, they refer to it as the green mile because of kind of the pale green floor. And there's this, this really strange scene where they bring the prisoner in, John Coffey. He's kind of the, the, one of the main characters there. And they're bringing him in. They've just got him off the truck. They've got him shackled. They're bringing him onto the mile. And you have this little antagonist guard who is just, you no, know, he's got all kinds of problems. And he wants everything to be about him. He's about his own personal gain, all of this other stuff. And as he comes into the mile, onto death row, he is shouting out, dead man walking. He said, I've got a dead man walking here. Okay, and that's where that phrase kind of came from. It's a death row phrase that was meant to add shame to somebody who has already been convicted. And it was to just further pronounce guilt upon a person. And so they open up death row and he comes walking in. And he says, dead man, I've got a dead man walking here. And he continues to do this until the head guard finally says, Percy, you know, knock it off. That is, that's enough. We know sometimes we say things like, I'm dead. 
Or I'm a dead man when we mess up, right? Anybody said that or you said it to somebody who did something to you? You know, you're dead. You know, if you ever had siblings, you probably have said that to them at some point in your life. Uh, being the owner of two younger siblings, I know that I said that at times in my life. Okay, well, in the Green Mile, this man is eventually executed for the crimes that he didn't commit. Of course, this story is, is fiction. But reality is that Jesus willingly embraced execution for the crimes that, that he didn't commit. And as we looked at the story last week, there was a point where we saw that Jesus was heading toward Jerusalem, and a couple of different Gospels kind of highlight this. And it's as he sets his face toward Jerusalem that we realize that Jesus truly is a dead man walking. And the way we're going to see that is by looking at three different death predictions that Jesus makes about himself. Okay, there's one that happens in chapter 8 that we talked about last week. There's another one in chapter 9, and then there's another one in chapter 10. Now, you remember last week as we talked about Peter, and we talked about the other disciples, uh, I quoted Randy Harris several times, and I said that Randy says that in the other Gospels, you know, the disciples are, are just kind of clueless, but in the book of Mark, they're dumb as shrubs. Do you remember that, that statement? You're going to see why he said that statement today. Because Jesus is going to talk about his death, and then they're going to say the dumbest things imaginable. Okay? When somebody tells you something serious, you usually don't come up with a boneheaded response or a boneheaded conversation. But that is exactly what's going to happen following each of these three predictions that... That Jesus makes. Now then, there's, there's some sequencing here. I want you to see that before we begin. Um, Scottish theologian William Barclay says this. He says, three times Jesus foretold the things that were going to happen to him in Jerusalem. Each time they grow grimmer and some further detail of horror is included. As we saw last week and as we'll look at in just a minute... The first one is just sort of the bare announcement that he makes in, in chapter 8, verse 31. The second one, a chapter later in 931, Jesus begins to introduce us to this idea of betrayal. And then finally, in the third prediction in chapter 10, you know, he really adds on to it. Where he reveals to us that there's going to be mocking, there's jesting, there's scourging. He's going to be beaten. And, and what we realize is that... that as Mark is telling us the story, that it sort of seems as if the picture becomes more and more clearer to Jesus with each step toward Jerusalem that he makes. As if, as if when he would take another step, it's like the Holy Spirit would reveal that, that something else is, is going to happen. And so we're going to see, we're going to see all of these things happen. Now that as we get through these different predictions... I'm going to highlight the things that are going to happen uh, in, in red. So you'll, you'll, know, uh, you'll, you'll know what they are and, and you'll see them coming. So let's drop back to 831 where we were, where we were last week. This is, uh, this is after the, uh, the double touch healing. 
Okay? After the double touch healing, and now he begins to, he begins to teach his disciples. And it said, then he began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and rise on the third day. So that's the first time that Jesus talks about this. And it's interesting to kind of notice the sequence of the verbs there. Suffer, rejected, kill, rise. You can look at that for basically an outline for the things that are going to be coming through the rest of the book. Because that's exactly what's going to happen to Jesus in 14, 15, and 16. Okay? He is going to suffer. He is going to be rejected by men. Okay? He is going to be killed, but that's not the end of the story because we know eventually he is going to, to rise. Okay? But right here, this is the first time that he begins to speak about his death. As a matter of fact, the next verse tells us that he spoke openly about this. And then notice bonehead response number one. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Anybody else want to pull Jesus aside and tell him they're wrong? I don't, I mean, I say some boneheaded things. But telling Jesus he's wrong is one of the things that's on my list of no-nos. Okay, I'm not going to tell Jesus he's wrong about something. But remember, Peter has a misunderstanding about the story. Jesus is king. And he's a king like every other king. He's powerful. And they're going to run, or Jesus is going to run the Romans out. Now then, this verse is really important because it's sort of the, the hinge point or, or the pivot point of the book. Because remember, up until this point, what have we seen from Jesus? We've seen power. Okay? Power over sickness. Power over demons. Power over Death, power over disease, power over sin. It's all been about power. But from this point forward, the power is going to kind of get pulled back. And the focus is now on the shame and the rejection and the cross. That is, that's what it's all about. Okay, and, but, but Peter doesn't understand that. So he pulls Jesus aside because, you know, Jesus got a few details off. So Peter's going Peter's to update his, his, his knowledge. Okay, and Jesus is like, wait a minute. And Jesus then delivers the sharpest rebuke that he lays out in all of scripture. And it's to like his best friend. Okay, he says what? Get behind me, Satan. Woo, anybody ever called you Satan? Wasn't fun, was it? I, I, so somebody called me Satan one time. I didn't like it. All right. He says, get behind me, Satan. As long as you're thinking like that, you've got the, the things of the world. And as we said last week, Peter confesses that Jesus is the Messiah, but he has gotten the rest of the story wrong. Okay, it's not about Jesus' power and exerting his power over people. It's about going to the cross. And Jesus is saying, look, until you get the story straight... You're on the wrong side. You've, you, you've missed the boat. Okay? So there it is. There's the, the first prediction. The Son of Man, He's going he's gonna to suffer. He's going to be rejected. He's going to be killed. But He's going to be raised. That's the first death prediction. Not a, not a whole lot 
going on there. Then in chapter 9, we come to the, uh, to the second one. And there's been some, some pretty crazy things that have happened in chapter 9. Uh, there has been the, uh, the transfiguration where Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and he took them up on the mountain, and he was transfigured before them. And again, we see Peter's lack of understanding that, that takes place. Uh, then they come down, and there's this, uh, there's this dispute about his disciples, and this guy who's got a demon, and he can't heal him. And finally, Jesus has to step in, and he throws the thing out, finally throws it out, says, this thing can only come out by prayer. Then you get down to verse 30, and it says, they left that place and they made their way through Galilee, but he did not want anyone to know it. And then notice verse, notice verse 31. For as he was teaching his disciples and telling them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed, there it is, into the hands of men, they will kill him, and after he is killed, he will rise three days later. So he's added another detail. Okay, Not only has he added the detail of betrayal, he's also talked about who is going to be doing the betraying. Okay, Not I'm just going to be rejected. Not that I'm just going to suffer. I'm going to be betrayed into the hands of men. Who is it that's going to kill Jesus? The hands of men. Okay? And here's the thing. We think, oh, those terrible Romans. Those terrible Jews. But we have to keep Paul's words in mind. For all have sinned. And all have fallen short of the glory of God. So guess what? With that one phrase, by the hands of men... All of us are implicated in the death of the one who would die for all. Do you see that? So the sin you committed yesterday sent Jesus to the cross. The sins I commit, Jesus had to go to the cross for. Okay? All of us are guilty. This is not just the people that lived 2,000 years ago and rejected Jesus. The hands of men means all of us. It means mankind, the human race. We are all implicated in the death of Jesus. Now then, that's what he said. Somebody tells you that, how are you going to react? Yeah, what, what do you mean? You know, uh, what do you mean? You mean I'm, I'm involved with this? What do you mean you're going to die? People are going to kill you? What are you talking about? That is exactly not how they react. Okay, watch this. What, are you argue, what were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent because on the way they had been arguing with one another about who is the greatest. That's embarrassing. Is it not? I mean, that is truly embarrassing because Jesus has just told them for a second time that he's going to die at the hands of men and they're arguing like children, like, no, 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 I'm better than you. You know? You're not the best, I'm the best. Okay? I'm greater than, than, than you are. And what we realize is that the disciples have completely misunderstood what Jesus said about denying oneself and about cross-bearing. 
Okay? Because that's what he told Peter. Okay? He said, it's not about you. It's not about me as an earthly king that's going to run Rome out and free you from physical, uh, political, national oppression. It's about taking up your cross daily. It's about following after me. It's about denying yourself. It's about putting others first. I'm going to die. And you guys are arguing about which one of you is the best. Do you see that? I mean, it really is embarrassing. It's, it's shameful, but I mean, do we not do the same things? Do we not talk about who's best? Who's got the greatest toys? Who's done this? Who's, who's done that? Notice how Jesus responds. Sitting down, he called the twelve and he said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he must be last. And he must be servant of all. And he's taken a child into his hands. Okay? They're arguing like children. Then he pulls a child up and says, hey, look, you have to welcome me the way I welcome this child. The way the child welcomes me. We realize, whoa, it's not the kids. The kids have it right. It's us as adults. Sometimes we completely miss what Jesus is truly calling us to. Remember, that's what the whole message was about last week. That's why it was called mission clarification. Peter and the disciples thought one thing. Jesus says, no, 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 it's something else. Again, Randy Harris, the disciples, they thought they had joined the power crews only to find out they got on the death boat. Okay, that's what it is. Okay, here it's kind of the same thing. You, you, you think it's about this. You think it's about who is the greatest. It's not. It's about putting others first. It is about serving one another. And he says, if you want to be great, then you need to be last. That's, that's the key to greatness in God's kingdom. Because... In God's kingdom, everything is upside down from the way the earthly kingdom thinks. It's almost, everything is almost paradoxical, okay? Our society, our world says it's all about power. It's all about being first, okay? And, and I mean, we see it all over the place. You know, we talk about global leaders. You know, we have to be first in accomplishing something. First at this, first at that. And Jesus is like, uh, I think y'all are missing something. Because it's not about who is first. You want to be first, go to the back of the line. You want to be the greatest, then you go find the least of these and you serve them. That's how, that's how you become great. That's how you become great in my kingdom. Yet they miss it. They're arguing over who is the best. And then in chapter 10, we have the third prediction. And it's this one that he adds in the most stuff. Like I said, it's, it's, it's like, as Mark tells the story, Jesus is revealing more and more stuff to the disciples about what is going to happen. So he says this in Mark chapter 10. He says, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man 
will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And he will rise after three days. Lamar Williamson Jr. says this. He says, the goal of Jesus, the goal of Jesus is passion. It's not pilgrimage. He'll be hailed as king of the Jews, but his enthronement will be paradoxical. His coronation will mean his death. You see, that's, that's got to be hard for these guys to understand. Because all of their life, they have been expecting a certain kind of Messiah. That's what Peter is really trying to correct Jesus on. Okay? This argument about the greatest, that's really what that's about. Okay? We're great, and of the great, I'm greater than you. Okay? And and it's going to get even worse in just a minute. Okay? Jesus says, look, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be condemned to death. They're going to mock me. They're going to spit on me. They're going to flog me. And then they're going to kill me. And here's the thing. Jesus knew all of this and willingly went to Jerusalem. Knowing all of that, he went to Jerusalem. Jesus knew that with each step he took toward Jerusalem, that he was a dead man walking. That he was walking toward the cross. That he was walking toward his death. And so I like what what Williamson says here, that... He is going to be hailed as king of the Jews. But his coronation is not a grand celebration. His coronation, his coronation is is, is death. And the disciples are really, really compassionate. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, approached him and said, Teacher... We want you to do whatever we ask you. What do you want me to do for you? He asked them. They answered him, Allow us to sit at your right and your left in your glory. What? Are you you kidding me? That's what they asked for. Okay? That's That's what they have asked Jesus for. He has predicted his death. He has given lurid details about what's going to happen. He's talked about his rejection. He's talked about his shame, how he's going to be mocked. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be spat upon, which is, you know, the, you want to ultimately disgrace somebody? Spit on them. That's the ultimate insult. Anybody ever spit on you before? You want to see somebody get mad in a hurry, you let somebody get spit on. Okay, and you'll see people spit in disgust. Okay, okay. This is everything that happens to Jesus. He says, this is going to happen to me. And then James and John, for whatever reason, maybe because 
Because Jesus took them up on the mountain of transfiguration. And maybe in their mind, they think they are the greatest. I don't know. But they pull Jesus aside and say, hey, Jesus, we want you to do something. What's that? Me and John, we want the seats to your right and to your left when you come into your glory. That's those, those, those sub-thrones. Those got to be for us, right? Can we, can we have those? And we see that James and John's request further reveals the lack of understanding or maybe even the willful rejection and ignorance of Jesus' teaching. You see that this happened is not really the most amazing thing here. It's the timing of when it happens that's really important. The, juxtapata- uh, the, the juxtaposition of Jesus' most detailed death prediction measured against the request of James and John is absolutely staggering. Somebody gives you serious news, are you going to ask them for something ridiculous? James and John did. Why on earth would they do that? I mean, they loved Jesus, wouldn't you say? I don't think there's any question about that. Okay, they've followed Jesus for however long they've been with him. Okay? So there's no question about their loyalty, at least not yet. So why is it they would ask such a thing? It's because they don't understand what's going on. Or either they're choosing to willingly reject it. And so Jesus responds. Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? You see, in the, the cup and the baptism, those are metaphors. It's not talking about a, a, a literal cup and a literal baptism. They're metaphors that are describing and, and representing the life and the experience of Jesus. And basically, what he is saying to them is, look, can you, can you bear the terrible things that I'm about to go through? Okay? Can you bear the unbelievable rejection and pain that I am about to experience? You see, what he is telling them is that without a cross... There is no crown. They go on and they say, we are able. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup that I drink. And you will be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. And we know eventually that that they bear these things. But for now, Jesus is telling them that the standard of the kingdom is the standard of the cross. You see, and that's important for us to remember too. Okay, it's not about prestige. It's not about who is the most important. Okay? It's not about me. It's not about our shepherds. It's not about any other person. Nobody is more important in the kingdom of God than anybody else. Okay? It's not about that. The cross is the ultimate equalizer of men. Okay, it puts us all on the same level. Who cares what we accomplish outside of of our Christian faith? 
the important stuff that matters, the cross puts us on a level playing field. Okay, yes, thank you, Lord. There's nobody that's greater than, than another person. Serve one another. Deny yourself. Put others first. And then finally he says this. He says, but to sit at my right or left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Even Jesus will not claim the authority to offer up these seats of high honor. You see, his, his will is fully committed and submitted to the will of his Father. His boneheaded disciples are committed to their own will. A lot like us sometimes. How many times are we committed to our own will over the will of God? Can you say that that's been you at least one time in the past week? If you can, just raise your hand. If you're not raising your hand, we need to talk. Okay? Uh, If you're not raising your hand, then basically you're doing it right now. <laughs> so to speak. Okay. You're, you're not, no, man, I follow God's will all the time. I never mess it up. But that's what it is. Okay. And we see that all throughout these, these chapters. Jesus says, This is what's going to happen. I'm going to die. They miss it. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm the greatest. I'm going to be rejected, I'm going to be condemned, I'm going to be spit on, I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be mocked, I'm going to be flogged, I'm going to be killed. Hey, Jesus, can we have the good seats? That's, that's, that's good. Can we have the good seats? After you're dead, can we, get, can, we sit, can we sit next to you? I mean, that's kind of what they're saying. Okay? They are missing the mark. Okay, now you know that's the actual definition for sin. Did you know that? The actual literal definition is missing the mark. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. The mark is the glory of God. But we fall short. Okay? They are missing the mark. Notice the contrast. The first death prediction takes place in 831. They follow it up, or Peter follows it up by rebuking Jesus. Okay? Second death prediction takes place in chapter 9. It's followed up with the disciples arguing over who is the greatest. Third death prediction in 10 is followed up with James and John seeking positions of of high honor. They have absolutely, 100%, positively missed the mark. Jesus has taught, he has explained, he has shared with them. And what we see is that words were powerless to rid the disciples of their ideas of an earthly king and personal power and glory. The only thing that would fix that is the cross. Only the cross. Only what they witness at Calvary is going to change their mind. Only when the Holy Spirit comes on them in the book of Acts, 50 days after the resurrection, are they truly going to have their eyes and their hearts completely, completely opened. You see, the disciples, they thought, they thought everything was about power. Jesus says it's about rejection. It's about shame. It's about service. It's about death. They didn't want to listen because they believed that he was the same kind of king that every other powerful nation had. 
But Jesus fully embraced rejection, shame, and death so that we can be fully embraced by God. Do you see that? He embraced all of those things so that God can embrace us. He took on our sin. He freed us so that we can be with God forever. So let's talk about leaving your mark, leaving our mark. How do we do it? Well, first we look at how Jesus left his. Jesus left his mark by willingly walking toward shame and death. We've seen that. Jesus knew he was going to die. Jesus walked toward it anyway, bravely. We leave our mark by walking in the way of the cross. And over the last couple of weeks, <coughs> excuse me, over the last couple of weeks, I hope that's become clear as what the way of the cross is. If you're not sure, then just go back and read these passages we've looked at today and you'll see that the way of the cross is denying self. It's putting others first. It's serving others. It's, it's sacrifice. It's accepting shame. It's accepting rejection. And it's being willing to embrace death, whether that means you're dying to self or dying to some sin or maybe even literal death should that come your way. That is the way of the cross. And so we leave our mark on this earth by walking the way of the cross. Uh, my um, my uh, college singing group that I was in, we were actually, we called ourselves Crosswalk. And uh, we wrote a song that we never finished and the lyrics went like this. It said, walking in the way of the cross, never will my soul ever be lost. Walking it day by day, showing that Jesus is the way. That's, that's about leaving marks. That's leaving a Jesus mark by walking in the way of the cross each and every single day. Okay? You want to change somebody's opinion about you? Don't do it with words. You do it with your actions. Put them first. You'll see a change. All right. Let's wrap this up. Question marks. Do I sometimes focus on my personal gain rather than denying self? Probably yes. Sometimes I do that. Or maybe definitely, yes, I do that from time to time. Okay? So that's what we have to ask ourselves in crosswalking. Okay? If we're going to crosswalk, then we have to focus on denying self. Question number two. Do I have a kingdom view, a kingdom view, small k, do I have a kingdom view like that of the disciples, or do I recognize that Jesus' kingdom, capital K, is different? Okay? And, and, and that's really... Kind of the same thing as that first question. It's just a reframing of it. Okay. Do I recognize that it is about service, sacrifice, you know, taking care of others, putting them first? Okay. That's, that's capital K kingdom view. That's crosswalking. Lowercase kingdom is about my gain, my glory, you know, perpetuating that whole thing. Do I fully understand the shame and rejection of Jesus? I think we struggle with this one. I think we have a hard time with this. Like I, I said last week, Mel Gibson perfectly captured the pain of Jesus' suffering. 
He captured the physical pain of it. We can understand that. We willingly embrace that. But I think where we have trouble is embracing and fully understanding the shame of Jesus. Okay? That's where we have trouble. So I want, that's what we need to think about. Do I fully understand what Jesus had to endure? Okay? It wasn't just the physical suffering which was great, but it was the spiritual suffering which was greater. Okay? Do I fully understand the shame and rejection? Do I recognize that my sin implicates me in Jesus' death? We all play a part in this. Okay? Because none of us are <laughs> none of us are Jesus. And so we all play a, a part in this. Jesus was a dead man walking and willingly embraced it. We have dead people walking around all the time and they don't even know it. Or maybe they do and they don't care. If... You've not given your life to Jesus. Guess what? You're a dead man or a dead woman walking. Okay? Because we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Death came to every man when sin entered the world. Okay? That's all, that's all Romans stuff there. Okay? Ephesians, all that stuff. Death comes by sin. Alright? If you've never given your life to Jesus, you are a dead person walking. Okay? We're just waiting. You know, we've experienced spiritual death. We're just waiting on our bodies to catch up. Okay? And so if you have only... If, if that's what your existence is, then give your life to Jesus and experience life experience new awakening new beginning but it starts with confessing that, that Jesus is Lord and nothing else and by saying Jesus is Lord you're saying that I am not Lord I, there's a song that says I am mine no more Jesus is Lord equals I am mine no more okay I, I belong to Jesus which means I take up a cross and I follow after Jesus. I walk in the way of the cross. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we like to dig up the dead guy. And put the death clothes back on. You ever done that? Who done that this week? Guilty. Fortunately, forgiveness is available for that. Jesus' death wiped out sin. And all we have to do is say, hey, I blew it, Lord. Please forgive me again. And he will. Okay? But we, we can't, we, we have to try to break the habit of habitually returning to the grave. Okay? Sin's defeated. Death's defeated. We don't need to hang out in the cemetery. We have to walk the way of the cross. And when you walk the way of the cross, you're going to walk by people. And you're going to show them the way of the cross. 
which leads to death, which leads to life. That's the paradoxical, upside-down, absurd kingdom of God.